episode 41 of the Driveline R&D podcast. We have no guests this time. Back to the original cast of characters talking about some quick life and work updates, updates on our models for vertical approach angle and spin efficiency, some jump testing reliability analysis and how that relates to the performance indicators for the high performance department. And then lastly, we review an article that uses machine learning models to predict future injuries for position players and pitchers. Also, if you're interested in seeing Caravan freshly shaven and want to see his hair down before he shaves it off in 2021, feel free to join us on the YouTube version of this episode. Enjoy. Traveling R&D Podcast, episode 41. This is Alex Caravan. Kind of still your co swag manager of baseball analytics. A little bit of apartment New York. We'll touch on that later. <laughs> Co-host, uh... Drinking some weird stuff, dude. I'm drinking a coconut, sparkling coconut water flavor, cherry bank. And I'm drinking whatever this is, dude. All right, yeah, it's whiskey, yeah. Brandy, and I'm going to drink oh. it in an old uh, yogurt container. But uh, go ahead, Lindley. Old yogurt. Kyle Lindley, sports engineer, driveline baseball, drinking a Jack on the Rocks. Cheers. Cheers, dude. Anthony Brady, driveline baseball, Sports scientist, biomechanist, drinking the Elysian Bifrost. Um, also, again, to be clear, even though I had some, some audio issues on the last episode, still the primary uh, host of the R&D Research and Drinks podcast. Um, yeah, episode 41 today. Also, uh, have either of you had this? Uh I think we had a lot. Dude, I think that was on one of our first podcasts. Yeah, I, I want to say so, like too. It's, it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, like, two, I've realized now that, like, two of my favorite beers are winter seasonal beers. The Bifrost and the, and the Moorish. So, I think I might just be, like, a winter beer guy. Dude, dude over here, I have a mini crisis on my drink. Is it just me or is this way more than a shot? <laughs> oh, yeah. Might, uh, Dude, I, I I just got too pumped and I, sip, I'm like used to not pouring. Sip very uh, slow. Hard, eh? What's but, what's but, the like, percentage uh, on a ra ra rat A ra ra rat I mean, the usual 40. Uh, nice. It's brandy. Dude, do you guys even know what difference between brandy and whiskey is? I don't. Uh, brandy is like just I feel like that's wine. a setup for a really dirty uh, joke. Like, Isn't brandy like distilled? Like it's the it's one step, or it's like this uh, the same thing as whiskey, but whiskey starts with like a beer base. Dude, I, I'm nervous about how much booze this is. I can't pour <laughs> a sip back in. Yeah, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll make sure to get your topics out of the way quickly. Oh. Uh, but let, let's kick it off. It's been a while since uh, it's been the three of us, and, and behind the scenes, I mean, we, we were on a pretty good guest run. A lot of people were clamoring. We actually just had to say uh, smell you to our to our boss and uh, driveline baseball founder Bodie. He he was dying to come on this episode, but I said, "Listen, bro, I, I think I need you to work on the topics a little bit. We'll, we'll have you on next week. True, and uh, get us a sponsor too. Yeah, Bang Energy. Uh, you you see my tweet, Brady? Or Rubens? Rubens would be way better. No, you tweeted at Bang looking for a sponsorship. Yeah, yeah. I said, I said, I said, Bang. I said, Bang. You sponsor a lot of hot chicks. How about a couple of hot dudes? Um, True. But, but, oh, cool. but I, I, I haven't heard back. I haven't heard back. But I'm assuming I'm assuming I did send a message request in my DMs. I just need to like yeah accept them. Yeah. Um, Maybe check your spam. Dude, we got we got a lot of stuff to cover, and, and I have a couple of topics. I'm like pretty excited to get into the 
the nitty gritty on because it's been a while. I mean, guest episodes are awesome and I enjoy them a lot, but it's it's hard to really get into two two R and D of topics. I don't know what you guys think of this, but I think it's hard to get like too deep because a you don't know what their background is on everything and you don't want to kind of like put them on the spot. Whereas like we're way more down to put each other on the spot because like sometimes <laughs> we just like talk it out. So right. like we know we we know what we're working on way more closely usually, and, right. and also it's like you don't want to you don't want to put them on the spot about like like giving too many insider secrets yeah and, and, you and your boys yeah i mean if it's not black ops your boy's down to spill beans yeah. yeah we're an open book baby yeah i think i actually think that uh when we bring on like the first couple guests for their second time around i think that would kind of shift a bit you know give other people opportunities to like ask us questions kind of like what mm. we did with ochar you know i think yeah. that would give us yeah. more opportunity to kind of just like go off on tangents on things beyond just like Oh, okay. Ochart, how did you get to where you are right now? Kind yeah. of thing, you know, just like the basics. Yeah. Hey, Och, so we all know, but uh, do you want to kind of tell the viewers how you got into driveline baseball? And yeah, yeah. why don't you tell your story about how you met Kyle Bodie? Yeah. Hey, all right, Max. Max, I, I heard you met Bodie in a crazy <laughs> way. Why don't you go ahead and tell that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but uh, <laughs> that's, that's all our viewers are tuning in for. They just hear that. Like, Wait, they're not going to that shit? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, damn <laughs> what if we're out? <laughs> We make this whole episode. We just sw- we just switch around. We just both tell uh, our own stories of how we met Bodie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Do, do you want do you want to talk about? Do you guys want to kind of uh, talk about the department reorg? Because I'm, I'm I don't even, I barely even want to talk about it, dude. I got so used to doing the coast like manager of baseball analytics intro. Damn, yeah, yeah. Car- Caravan's now the head of data science. Mm-hmm. Anthony's in charge of sports science. We got Dan O'Quinn in charge of baseball ops. And then um, software is now kind of its own, uh, not not its own, yeah, it's, it's separate from R&D. So it's like different from the research and uh, like pro- report development and tool development um, yeah. that we're doing. So Yeah, we kind of like uh, all of the, the wings or the restructuring has like been happening without actually like calling it what it is kind of a thing. And now it's just like formalizing uh, a lot of that in terms of like how the research and development department of driveline baseball operates and now it's just a bit more more structured and clear as opposed to like just one flat structure in r&d everyone just like can literally do uh anything kind of a thing so not that it's not that it's super interesting to the listeners or viewers uh but like it's been a lot easier like like getting things more discretized and like tasks getting done and just like organizing better uh, when we don't have to plan with like a, a whole department, like we can get it more into uh, like each of our own like little pods and each like have uh, less projects that we have our hands on. At least that's yep. been my experience before. Yeah. Well, well, definitely that, that was part of the reason I, I was like pretty glad for the, for the split just cause that's what was going on with me and Dan. Mm-hmm. We we're both just checking out like eight different people's projects. Uh, Lindley has been a couple, couple analytics wing meetings. Um, I, I, I assume I assume the structure might be a little bit more different than what what was then our wing now sports science uh, wings, um, but uh, yeah yeah dude I, I mean I, I'm excited about it too just to give like pe- like some people more identity as well in terms of their position because I think like too too often like people come in and there's like two or three you know occasionally even four managers yeah. uh, that are kind of like all dabbling if we're you know if we're sharing a hitting analyst and like or zero yeah yeah or or zero but but uh. Uh, shout out Mel Bell. Uh, but, but like, yeah, I don't think that's going to be an issue anymore going forward. I think everyone has like a specific, you know, 
not, not even just a specific role, but a specific point of contact. Uh, and I, I least like one big project, sometimes like a couple mini projects. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, probably, probably not, probably not super interesting to the listeners. So I, I don't know how much more we need to, we need to go on it, but, but I guess, uh, I'm down for a quick round of updates and then we can get into the reliability stuff. Do you, you want to bring up anything Brady, just general, like last month, last month and a half? Yeah. Um, no real, uh, updates as far as project goes. A lot of, uh, a lot of black ops stuff for me almost entirely. I will say the one update is I think this is the first episode where I have the longest facial hair. So I don't think that's ever happened before. So I think that's, that's my major update in terms of what I've been working on for the last month, really been focusing on my mustache staying the course and it's it's brought me to this point i'm pretty happy with it honestly okay okay dude that i felt that low that was a little bit passive dude staying the course i I only i only shaved mine because i I was getting the headshot yeah (laughs) yeah yeah somebody told me i had a bad stash so i went and shaved it no i got headshots before thanksgiving so i had to for for what bro You, you modeling now Oh yeah, got to get my uh, kick my my modeling career off. I so I'm I'll actually model, in, dude. Sports in my in your model. <laughs> in my in the description to this to this video, even if I don't have them yet, I'll I'll edit the uh, my headshot back into the description so you guys Let's can all go. see it. But yeah, it's gonna be great. I got one with my stash, one without. So are you gonna make it your new uh, Slack photo? Uh, probably not. <laughs> probably not Slack. Damn. Maybe uh, maybe a Photoshop version on Basecamp. That's fair. That's uh, fair. I was gonna say, uh, well, well, one one project update that we're gonna talk about. I'm super pumped to be moving out of. Uh, like I said, I, I think I'll still be doing plenty of development in the uh, short and midterm future, but I have a little bit more more bandwidth now, and potentially, hopefully, a little bit less project management bandwidth used up with the department split. So I'm pumped to get in on some. Uh, data science projects and, and overall predictive models that I'll talk about in one of the sections. I was going to say, uh, regarding to, um, me shaving, which, uh, if the viewers are watching looking smooth. <laughs> and, and by the way, don't sleep on, uh, my, uh, my chin scar still there, baby. After I almost split my oh, face no open yeah. dirt biking. Yeah. No, I, biking. I, think a, I think it's a perma scar. Is your knee healed? No, I mean, it's healed, but it still looks like, uh, <laughs> it's so <laughs> not, I shouldn't ask. I'm sorry, guys. It's a dangerous. This is always a really dangerous camera angle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that wasn't my knee, dude. Um, no, but but uh, what, what was I going to talk about? Never mind, dude. Let's just go. Let's go to the first topic. Dude, All I'm right. Already hammered. I'm already hammered up. First brain, topic. Dude. First topic. Uh, okay, yeah. Today we got we got three main topics talking about uh, jump testing reliability. Um, Caravan's going to hit on some. Uh, VAA vertical approach angle, right? And spin efficiency model changes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Lindley's got a machine learning and injury prediction um, article for review. So first, yeah. uh, the, first section. So jump testing has been in the last, I don't know, year or so. We have started using it as a assessment protocol for the high performance department. We've talked a lot about uh, some of the things we've used, used that data for. For example, uh, like a fastball velocity predictor based off force plate metrics. Um, but one of the things, because it's our in-gym assessment protocol, we're, we're hoping to bring, uh, we're hoping to bring some sort of assessment that's similar um, to the online, to our online clients and remote clients. Um, so one of the kind of beta modules. Yo, in, who you call in, them beta, dude? <laughs> 
one of one of the like modules in development or features of modus that's not uh currently currently public is a jump module so it measures velocity and uh estimated like force force output uh so we did a jump testing like kind of reliability analysis with that which is my first time care <laughs> I'll let the hair down <laughs> Caravan walked me through some of that because it's like more on the analytics side than I've really ever been on. So I got my got my feet wet with some Cronvax Alpha and some uh, ICC measures, which is really interesting. So we basically we're looking at uh, trying to find how many jumps it would take with um, this sensor based product or sensor based measurement uh, to to get a good reliable measure of somebody's actual performance and. Um, like basically the minimum amount of change in their jump performance that we would have to, or they would have to change for us to detect that reliably with, uh, with the sensor measurement, which is really cool. And it was very low. I think we were only looking at, uh, at peak five. velocity. Yeah. What's yeah. We were, yeah. Five trials, right? Yeah. We were only using five jumps, which is pretty low. I think in with the force plates, which is a higher fidelity measurement where we're doing, three jumps per, per, per like test. So five jumps with the sensor and we were able to detect, I think a, it was like point, point 0.1 meters per second change or, or lower, uh, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, and then what's like, yeah, a, you, what, what is like a meters per second jump velocity just to get an idea as far as like that like magnitude. Two, two point something. I think it was in the twos. So as far as like percentage goes, what was the like, percent error of the magnitude. oh that's that's less than five percent that's okay. less five because yeah, yeah the the magnitude was around was between two and three for most guys gotcha. two and three meters per second so like 0.1 meters per second is pretty pretty small yeah relatively and then uh caravan did the did a similar analysis with the force plate uh measurements and then how also like phase gains and whatnot. i don't know if you want to get into that now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh jesus okay sorry uh um also, by the way, I, I took down took down my hair to see just how uh, this might be my max. This might be my my max uh, long hair length ratio to beard hair because I think I'm gonna shave. I think I'm gonna shave in 2020. That, that that's that's what I promised my girlfriend. So uh, I don't know if you're gonna see me this ratio of hair to this <laughs> to this clean shaven wow. uh, anytime soon. So so take screen. So for those listening, uh, make sure to hop on YouTube and and get a sneak peek real quick. Wait, you said you're um, shaving your head. What's up? You say you're shaving your head. Yeah. Wow. I, I just gotta I just gotta I just gotta a figure out a if I if I wanna if like a fire fire way to donate it and then b figure out a if I wanna do something crazy with my hair right before wow. or if that kind of botches the donation part you know because you can't like bleach it and be like. Here, take my like shitty silver dyed hair. True. Like, nah, dog. True. <laughs> this hair is ruined. Uh, but anyways, yeah, yeah. To kind of restate what what Lenny was talking about, essentially, super important reliability analysis when we use a new module or type of uh, type of technology to track something. Essentially, we want to know how many trials the athlete needs to take before we have a reliable read on what his true mean is. So, like a way to think about it is, you know, if something's super variant, you don't want to just you don't want to just do it one time. If someone's going to jump, if someone's going to like be pogo jumping like 22, 32, 37, 27, you know what I mean? You, you kind of want to see that based on just how variant it is, the lower number of trials are, is going to be the the floor used for uh, that reliability analysis. And actually for force blade jumps, dude, it was even, it, it converged even quicker because I ended up using three jumps. I ended up using three force blade jumps because not everyone does four. 
in our uh, engine, ass- engine assessment, most people either do three or four, but just to keep it standard, I just cut it down to three. Mm-hmm. And, and that are really high, that like a 0.9 something Chromebacks Alpha, um, which usually 0.7 is kind of the, the cutoff in terms of just the industry standard of something being reliable. And then a really high ICC as well, intra-class correlation, which is like the reliability, um, the, re- the reliability of those of those numbers when you have multiple repeated measures. So the same subject, and there are multiple times, and then multiple subjects. So uh, really good news for our assessment because that means we can quickly get an idea of someone's true mean or true yeah. value in that test right away. And I did that for force plates, like Lindley said. And part of the reason we really want to look at force plates and what we've been breaking down, shout out Anthony Osnax, who's been uh, manning our in-gym high-performance dashboard on, on the force plate side, which has a bunch of cool stuff. It has like expected gains uh, based on someone coming in. Uh, it has KPIs. One of the things I was working on with them this week is KPIs when someone goes from one phase to another. Because when we have athletes come in, we log them in a certain phases. We do like accumulation, strength, power, uh, uh, maintenance on ramp. We have a couple in there mm-hmm. and that, that usually is a prerogative of Dan Adams, our head of strength and the, the strength guys. So they assess an athlete. We're going to throw this guy on the strength phase, whatever, depending on where he is in, in his season. And we essentially want to get a really strong idea of KPIs when someone comes from a phase into another phase. So, so we were playing around of different ways to portray. We're initially doing kind of like months, like what's the average, gain of someone coming off a strength uh, phase in the month of December. But we decided that was a little too uneven based on our like six week retest. So, so we're actually, we actually just had a meeting today to reconfigure it. We're looking at two, two methods. We're doing rolling averages. And by the way, I'm I'm curious what you guys think. If you guys have any ideas, obviously I'm kind of laying this out right now, but uh, we're, we're doing rolling averages on, on the phase gain. So say, 40 people have come off a strength phase so far in our, in our data collection. Uh, what's the, what's the average counter movement jump height gained by the last 10 guys. Uh, and and t- 10 is a number that, that I want to put like a little bit of statistical backing on. I'm going to do some analysis to kind of get an idea of what the right sample size is, like what, uh, like how, 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 how good of, uh, like a random sample of 10 people, how accurately does that represent the overall population of all the data points there? But, but, but for, for now, we, ha- we haven't actually found that number yet. So we're, let's just say 10. 10 is probably a good number. But yeah, rolling average of the last 10, um, you know, phase gains for each respective phase. So it'll look, you know, it'll look like a typical rolling average over data points. And then we're also looking at doing like kind of a matrix, almost, almost a Markov chain, if someone's familiar with Markov chains. But essentially uh, having like a big, big matrix for each uh, assessment or retest. And each, like the columns will be all the phases as will the rows. So it'll be something like if you come off, off accumulation into strength, what's your expected or what's the, what's the average uh, gain or loss? Hmm. If you come off strength and accumulation, what's the average gain or loss? If you come on on ramp, blah, blah. So it's going to be kind of say there's N phases. It's going to be an N by N matrix. Right. Um, and, and that second one is going to take a little bit of time to stabilize because there's going to be some combinations. Well, it, it'll take some more time to stabilize based on what the actual combinations are because there'll probably be some combos that'll be pretty rare. Like rarely will someone go off a of strength into power or, or whatever. I'm kind of speaking here as someone who's not actually sending the faces. But, how big, uh, is, that, how big is that in? How big is that in? I think it's around six. Uh, six by six. Six or seven. Um, we could probably 
pull it up now. Okay. But uh, yeah, essentially, essentially, that's kind of where we're at on the. Oh, let's see if I got it. Um, so it's power, strength, youth. Youth is just like, you know, we just throw in this this youth guys in there just to have them be in a separate population. Um, in season slash maintenance, on ramp, uh, and accumulation. So okay, if yeah. you include youth, it's six. If not, it's five. Okay, yeah. I I doubt there will be many like uh, uh, big leaguers that go from power into youth. But maybe or in season into youth, dude. If if, if anyone's going back into youth, bro, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, what, what, if, what if you find out that's where the real gains are, though? What if that's yeah. where the real gains are the whole time? That's just gonna be data misentry, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's, gonna be, that's gonna be the stupidest. That's gonna be the stupidest like report to give someone. That's like the classic like analyst is just out of touch. You know, they're like clearly a data misentry. You're like telling Dan Adams, like, yeah, man. Yeah. So looks like um looks like if you just go from strength to youth. Yeah. We got one data point there, but they gained seven inches. Yeah. So I think we just got to program everyone to youth. Yeah. And, and I think I think that's how you make a lot of gains. So like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. All of a sudden, so ba- be, Bauer, little... Bauer just goes from in-season to youth just all the time. That's, that's his secret. That's how he yeah. got Cy Young. He just goes from um, in-season to youth. There might be a little of that in the in the article later. Let me talk about. True. I was, I was going to say, Grady, is this set up at all for a screen share? Can I do a sneak peek of, of uh, s- some live gains or is it going to... Yeah, is it yeah gonna... just tell me, tell me when you're switching. I can switch it. All right, I'm about to switch right now. Okay. So this Karen, is... Our... What's up? Do you know how standard the the programs are? So like, can we can we be confident that if in the last, like, if 10 or whatever the number is in the last 10 athletes or last 10 changes... Um, can we be confident that those guys had similar programs or they were, they, they are like, better question for Dan Adams. yeah, yeah, that's why. Okay. Um, but, but in theory, I, I would, I would hope, I would hope there's a fair bit of standardization. Um, but, but, but so this is, this is, a this is a couple, this is a couple data points I, I was playing around with and, and this is a graph I slapped together. I wasn't planning on presenting this, but I, but I figured it, it shows some perspective on a couple of things we're taking into consideration. Are you so trying to be case, on uh, the ICC page? Oh no! Is that what's sharing? Yeah. yeah. Still? Oh, you're yeah. Oh, there you know you go. you're good now. Okay. Um. So 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 this is a uh, these are some gains that we have post COVID, and uh, so starting from like July on, I, I like I like recoded everything as an assessment to kind of standardize the playing playing level, and these green bands are actually relevant to what we started this convo talking about the smallest worthwhile change. I did a, uh, usually the, the kind of industry standard is using 0.2 as a, as a smallest possible level to kind of dictate the effect of the noise. So you do 0.2 times, times the within subject standard deviation, usually which came out of around 0.3 inches. So I threw green bands here at 0.3 and negative 0.3. So essentially the idea being like most, things in here or oh, excuse me uh might be considered noise if someone you know gains 0.1 that might just be noise yeah. but uh, one of the things here and, and this this i use this example uh, as one of the things that we're cleaning up now because we still have we still got to go back and backlog a bunch of phases i had like a higher like sample size cutoff because we had we had like six or seven phases and they were kind of all over the place they were like really jittery because we had a bunch of people that only had like one or two data points in a few instances um in that month and phase combo but essentially yeah we're we're right now we're trying to 
redistribute the, the the purple line out to all the other phases see what the right number of like see what the right sample size is for the rolling average selection and then uh you know convert this to rolling average and also that kind of uh matrix matrix gain so uh total total live project i started working on this last week i mean i kind of I've, I've gone back and forth on some base camp posts the last like couple weeks but i only started really getting my hand hands dirty on this this last week yeah. so uh look, looking forward to that that's fire Uh, on to the model revamps. Is this with is this with Data Robot? Yeah, yeah. Um, what? Shout out Data Robot. Um, if, <laughs> if, if I clip if I clip this and and, and show to them, I'll get really pumped. Um, oh, we might be getting some Data Robot shirts soon. Also, oh, yeah. uh, hey, first but, sponsor uh, of the podcast. That's a good point, dude. The, the thing is, though, I'm, I'm gonna be a conflict of interest at that point. It might just be sellout. <laughs> oh yeah, shit. that's a good. That's a. That's a yeah, good yo, point, yo, yeah. Stick with bang, dude. Yeah, we got a stick with bang, um, cherry bang. Uh, yeah, no. So, 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 two of the. I, I, I kind of think these are both pretty easy to talk about in a general landscape because I think most people that are into baseball analytics have an idea of spin efficiency and vertical approach angle, and maybe at least have some ideas about how to apply them and what their use is. But these are two models. We have internal models for vertical approach angle and spin efficiency, but we thought it'd be beneficial. We've gotten to a point where we've collected that much more data. We have that much more infrastructure in place to optimize that data and build better models or even try different things uh, with those models. So the last week or two weeks, I, I've basically started revamping uh, with the help of Jack Bredesen, our pitching analyst, uh, Dan, my ex-co-manager, but uh, still, still co-manager in heart. I, I've started remodeling the spin efficiency and vertical approach angle models. And spin efficiency, I, I posted about this a couple of weeks ago on Twitter. Just kind of is based uh, on TrackMan data. So, so, so since TrackMan data doesn't directly measure spin efficiency, this actually this, this is a good question that like I was going to uh, address anyways. But there's a couple ways to train it. So we we have a ton of Rapsodo data. Uh, people, I think most people know we work pretty closely with Rapsodo. So we have a bunch of Rapsodo data. So one way to train it is, you know, you get the Rapsodo data, you figure out like movement conversions, general like uh, calculation conversions between Rapsodo and TrackMan. You build a big predictive model on the large just Rapsodo data because that, that'll have, all the Rapsodo data will have a spin efficiency measure, right? So you can have, you have a clear response variable and then you have all the feature variables, all the other metrics. You calculate a, a model on that fit the model to that, try to fit the model to TrackMan with the movement conversions and then and then like try to validate it a little bit. Like it's, that, that one's a little bit trickier in terms of validation because you have, um, you know, there's some spin efficiency, spin efficiency measures out there based on like Al Nathan's form, uh, formulas, based on uh, a, a few different things out there. And, and you can also like eyeball some stuff. You, you know, if someone, if someone tells you like someone's four seamers, 80 degrees spin efficient, that's almost certainly not the case. Uh, like even just looking at like averages across like different release slots, different movement profiles, it kind of give you a idea of validation. Um, and, oh, uh, okay. I hope this might be better. Okay. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> uh, but, but, but yeah, so, so for a spin efficiency model, you can do that. You can do a mixed model track and wrap sort of da uh, data. In that case, you're looking for a little bit of unsupervised data. 
because not every trackman row has a spin efficiency column. So, uh, you know, you, you'd, you'd go there, you'd, you'd tackle that a little bit differently. You'd feed the model like clearly labeled data and clearly unlabeled data, mm -hmm. do that. Um, so there's a couple different ways to go about it. We've, we, we, we have more absolute data and I mean, technically more, more trackman data and public trackman data than ever as well. So, so I've been playing around with a couple options and honestly, I, I, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Uh, we, we have, we also have a ton of like paired, well, not a ton, less so uh, than the other technologies, but we have like paired Rhapsody and TrackMan data. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it'll give us an idea of, you know, what the actual like mapping is. We can, we can, we can train on that and have a truth variable for uh, both TrackMan and, and Rhapsody. Gotcha. But yeah, I, I posted about it a bit on, on, on Twitter, but I'm pretty excited. I think our errors are looking lower than ever. And one, one of the key things that I do usually, and I've talked about this, but is initially predict a gyro degree because gyros, gyro degree is so much more like clustered at the right point rather than spin efficiency, which is like not the distribution of how, how like spin efficiency actually uh, goes. Mm -hmm. And then I map it over to spin efficiency. Yeah. When, uh, so. Then that that's just for uh, spin efficiency. And then, it, did you discuss the vertical approach angle too? No. So, no. Um, damn, dude, I was not planning on talking this much, dude. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting thirsty out here, dude. I'm getting thirsty. I'm pounding this brandy, and your boys, dude, the RR rat, man, the RR rat. <laughs> so got, yeah. so got cheers, dude. Um, RR yeah. So, so, so vertical approach angle, I think, is pretty interesting. Um, basically, measures how steep a pitch is when it enters the zone, and it's been around for a while. I noticed recently a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, Jake Stone, shout out Simple Pacific Metrics, made a made a video on it that seemed to get a good amount of views. People have talked about it on Twitter recently. Um, I, I think it's a pretty interesting metric. It's one you can very closely predict off uh, TrackMan data because if you just throw in a bunch of vertical moving metrics, vertical play locations, and some release points, right, it, 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 it comes pretty damn close. Yeah, to the point where it almost like you know, like it, it's almost just like essentially a, a combination of those variables, which is useful and, and like, which is useful in of itself. If you have an idea of what it measures and ways to use it. Right. So, so I have a couple ideas. I had a couple ideas that initially put me on that path after talking to Jake's, like I said, and, and Daniel coin, both past guests, of the podcast, one of the things we were talking about using it for was seeing like who's optimizing their vertical approach angle. So essentially the idea is if someone has a really steep vertical approach angle or not so steep compared to like what it should be or where it is in the, in the plate location, like should they optimize it by trying to put in a certain zone location? Should they try to optimize it by changing their arm slot? Um, so like an easy example is if someone has a not very steep vertical approach angle, but they're aiming up in the zone, like those pitches might be getting creamed. Whereas mm -hmm. like, if someone has a steep vertical approach angle, but it's just like going middle, middle, like those are just like, you know, dick shots, you know, like, yeah. like they, they should take advantage of, of, of their, what their movement metrics, like tell the vertical approach angle is, and then try to optimize either the arm slot, the, the, the zone intention, a combination of, um, the things like that. So, 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 so the, what I did was I tried getting a non, non movement based normalized, uh, vertical approach angle controlling for for the play location and the release point like kind of like where that vertical approach angle should be versus like where it is once you factor in like how fast they're throwing it 
uh, how much they're spinning it, how efficient the spin is, the spin axis, all that stuff to, to kind of just play around with it. Like I said, I, I, haven't, I haven't finished this project yet and I'm, I'm pretty excited to have a couple ideas, a couple ideas that I just told you guys, but I'm open to what, what you guys suggest as well. But the idea being, uh, I think if the, what, the two vertical approach angles are, are wildly different, one of them is like that much, maybe that much more deceptive, that much more like misused, misoptimized, uh, things like that. Yeah. For, for both of the, for spin efficiency and the uh, vertical approach angle, there's like trajectory, like kinematic based models that you can just kind of calculate, right? So is there an advantage, like what's the advantage of using machine, uh, like a machine learning approach uh, and training a model that way, as opposed to just like tuning a uh, more like kinematic trajectory based model using whatever like math theory, like uh, from what I've seen uh, about Nathan's model, it's based on uh, free body diagrams and, and figuring out the actual uh, physics. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's just based uh, on the limitations and quality of the technology that you have available, right? Yeah. Like if there uh, was if, if there was a technology that could like accurately measure the like uh you know, fundamental physical like physics properties that go into creating the movement in the pitch, then we like you wouldn't need that, right? You wouldn't necessarily need like machine learning to est- to be able to estimate spin efficiency because you could just at that point you could just accurately measure it yeah i mean i I think i think there's a couple other potential benefits like you get to see you get to more accurately plot like the relationship between certain variables Mm -hmm. uh like the idea being like it's it's not like a a, you know you're not always going to have every variable b sometimes you just want to know like how much variation one variable explain like how, how how much the model changes based on taking out one metric Mm-hmm. The, the calibration of the technology and its limitations are a good point. And, and, and just stuff like even stuff like, uh, you know, seam shifted wake or, or things that yeah. aren't like typically explained by uh, most people's understanding of, yeah. uh, you know, baseball pitch movement and trajectory um, can become more apparent in, in general, like machine learning or, or data, uh, big data processing. Yeah. Like forces beyond Magnus uh, affecting yeah. movement, not understanding those. Yeah. That's good. That's a good point too. Um, I mean, I mean, for example, the, the classic one is the, uh, you know, Nathan's had a spin model out for, for a while. And, and I think, um, and, and I guess I haven't looked at it in the last like year or so, cause I know he started working with like tango and MLB data. So maybe it's gone a lot better, but I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to speak to it's, it's, it's pros and cons super bluntly, but Brady, you know, when, when you're playing around with it, it was predicting spin is above a hundred percent. Yeah, it still does and, that. I mean, they still get they still get active spin above a hundred, which is yeah, yeah. And and, and, and and I mean, you know, like obviously, obviously, Alan Nathan's a very complex physicist and certainly a, a much better physicist than any of us. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, you know, I, I I don't I don't want I don't know like uh, I, I haven't done like a deep analysis into what the f- limitations of it are from a physics kinematics point of view. But right. I know if I make a machine learning algorithm and train it well enough, it's not going to predict above a hundred. Right. And if it does, you just throw in, you just throw in a like score there. If it's above a hundred, just round to one hundred. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just stop um, it there. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a way? Is there a way that you could kind of combine the two? Like use, like try to if you had some 
estimate of how much uh, variability you can explain using physics and, and kinematics, and then use machine learning to kind of like fill in the gaps that you know like are inevitably gonna, inevitably going to exist because there are things you can't measure. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that happens a decent yeah. bit of the time. Um, for for example, like I, I've derived like essentially even a vertical approach angle, I derived spin efficiency through well, I derived it through a machine learning algorithm and then like applied it to the another like machine learning algorithm, right? So in the past, I've done that for kinematics and then like used that as a feature variable for for a big ML ML project as well. I feel like that's not that's not like too far off from like calculations of kinetics with inside visual 3d because like we're accurately measuring the kinematics but then we use like deleva for yeah. mois and the estimates of like segment inertial properties so that i that, i feel like that's like pretty pretty similar to that although like deleva is just like simple regressions i don't think they use machine yeah. learning for the uh, cadavers for the inertial properties those things yeah yeah, just like general general means probably. Yeah, like maybe specific yeah. They just, they, I think it was just like a simple uh, regression, and that's like a huge downside when trying to use that stuff for, um, like, trying to apply kinetics to like elite athletes because it's the assumption that it's like a fiftieth percentile, uh, like white male, <laughs> which is not what the majority of of elite athletes are from like segment properties, you know. Yeah, like yeah, downside. and that's what uh, the high performance guys are actually have been uh, asking us if we could measure limb length to help yeah. help get uh, improve that'd, improve the biomechanics model. That'd be pretty interesting. I mean, uh, we could just go a step further, and before the assessments, we just cut off each person's segments, <laughs> like measure their moments of inertia. Uh, yeah, for, for for all of them, could just we we could call like a inertial inertial measurement testing or something as part of the yeah validation dude validation <laughs> yeah see what it actually is it's like delimbing people think we can get that approved by an ethical ethical reboard not here dude, as long as there's no scds involved they don't that's all they care about dude <laughs> i remember true. that quiz all they care about is uh you, you can't give people what was it do you remember what scd was you can't give people like uh Okay. Anyways, I would um, I would, is, is I would feel like glitchy? it's any STD. You can't give them any STD. No, 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 no. I don't no, no, know no, if there's yeah, one yeah, in no, particular. No. <laughs> there, there's a historical what? example. There's a historical example of uh, in the quiz. Don't you remember taking that? And they were like, "Yeah, don't do this." What people did in 1930s. So they just give a bunch of people, bunch of people, like one specific disease, and then oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just a test out of theory. Yeah. There's some psycho research stories. Yeah, like I that. remember what you're talking about. Is it? I think uh, it was syphilis. Got... I think it was syphilis. Oh no! Yeah, might be wrong on that. <laughs> um, okay, on a on vertical approach angle though, what's your what's your prediction for like high performing uh, combinations? Because I, I feel like I have some just from like general like uh, baseball talk and like uh, how or at least like general like coach talk, you know? Yeah, uh, I I think it's a uh pretty based on pitch type, which I think is pretty yeah. obvious. Most people have played around with it. Um, I, I mean, in th this is like something I've said before, but on a very base level, it almost just matters that your stuff is different yeah. th than most people's Deviating stuff. Deviating from the norm. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, or what we, like, what, what, when I say that, I mean that from the point of view of, you know, doing predictive modeling on run value and uh, plotting, 
our own predictive like XERA metrics that, that, that compare pretty, pretty well what's out there publicly. Yeah. So, so that's what I mean when, when I say like it's, it's better. Um, but yeah, one of the things that we've played around with a bunch is looking at fastball vertical approach angle. So everyone throws a fastball and then plotting that compared to gaps in that fa- the fastball in there, like, you know, your primary off speed vertical approach angles oh, and using the metric. That, that's, that's been that's been uh that that's, that's worked out well for our own internal models um but yeah i mean at a very core level basically if you have a ton of vertical break you're gonna have a steep uh vertical approach angle yeah and if you have a ton of vertical break it's because you throw fast and spin the ball well which also you know makes sense as that you know that, that leading out to a to high performance graded fastball yeah my, my first thought when you were talking about it, it was just like trying to uh i guess like thinking of it from the fastball perspective like trying to deviate as greatly as possible from like average attack angle uh of a hitter so like if you have a low vertical approach angle throwing from like a lower slot and then throwing up in the zone so that it is so that like um higher attack angle swings you would like deviate from that greatly but then i was thinking more of it in terms of like based on just like hitting and the amount of like that we don't know about perception and everything going on in there probably more so just valuable to just like be different you know like just not do what other people do kind of a thing uh to be to have like an outlier pitch and an outlier zone in terms of like vertical approach angle because because even if it even if i guess it did match like the hitter's attack angle, if it's something that like no one's ever seen before, it's just going to like totally fuck them up, you know? Yeah. yeah. And as this one thing, that's basically what we like, like I kind of mentioned one thing I want to look at it next, just get an idea of how deceptive is it based on arm slots and yeah, based, based on, yeah, pretty much based on arm slots and like expected vertical movement yeah. uh, to an extent. Um, and, and yeah, like seeing, if, if seeing like what pitchers basically potentially, like if you can optimize or not, not just arsenals, but like command of arsenals based on the vertical approach angle right is, is what's interesting. And like, it's, it's an idea we've kicked around a, a, a bit. Yeah. Like I said, um, I, I just like something that we've always kind of like messed around with an incorporated vertical approach angle. I had a little bit of a bandwidth now and hopefully in the future. So kind of uh, got going on that project. Uh, probably gonna maybe outsource some parts of it to other analysts, but no, I'm excited. You want to move on to the machine learning article as well? Oh, not yet. Before your boy gets too fucking smacked off this. Not yet. We got, we got, we got Iowa in the chat. We got a, we got a question on, uh, on vertical approach angles. Um, Sam Bornstein, how do you compare a pitcher with a high spin, steep vertical approach angle fastball and one with a low spin, steep vertical approach angle fastball? What might that say about the pitcher's grip, arm slot, et cetera? So the only thing changing being uh, high versus low spin. So I'm guessing like high release point, steep vertical approach angle fastball, and the primary thing just being like uh, the spin efficiency of that. Or, well, the spin. Could be a a couple of things. Yeah. Could be a couple of things. And and, and feel free to clarify in the chat if you're listening, Sam. I mean – Essentially, most it's going to be based off a lot of speed and spin and vertical break. But vertical break is, you know, 
based a lot off speed and spin. So it's really going to be based right. off like speed and spin characteristics. So if it has and, and release, if it has lower spin, it's got to have a lower vertical break, meaning that the release slot would have to be higher, right? Yeah, or or, or, or you know, I mean, also I'm assuming maybe I guess I, sh- I should assume that he's talking about active spin or, or true spin, um, because oh, yeah. otherwise. That, that might play that would add another factor of like what ratio of that is spin yeah, efficient it could be like a really low spin efficiency one or like high yeah i mean i mean the person could be aiming higher the person could be aiming higher they could be releasing from a higher angle um they could be throwing the ball faster so even though it has lower spin they're still like uh you know a a decent amount of of magnus force on the ball mm-hmm. um could, could, could be quite a few things but but i think that question is like pretty much in line with, with, with what I'm playing around with now and, and hoping to answer. Yeah. Cause, uh, the high spin, the high spin steep vertical approach angle is like, if you're getting a bunch of lift, then you're going to be basically have to be throwing it down. Right. Like it has to be coming like the trajectory the high spin has steep. to Yeah. 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 I mean, and yeah, I mean, you're going to be throwing it down anyways, but yeah, like your vertical release angle is, is going to be, yeah. By, by the way, vertical release angle is something that uh, is in TrackMan's output usually, like or like the TrackMan's classic output that like colleges and high schools get, and or, or whoever has like a raw TrackMan file, but yeah. isn't in the uh, StackSDB. So that's that's probably the first rail angle. If you've seen on a TrackMan CSV, that's probably the closest thing. That's probably the thing you'd use to overfit the most of vertical approach angle, but it's not in the public uh, public data. Yeah, those are those Damn. are uh, <laughs> the two like two main trajectory inputs for um, Nathan's uh, trajectory models. Uh, those like horizontal and vertical yeah. angles of release. It's like, it's just like phi and theta or something. Yeah. 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 That makes theta, sense. Yeah. yeah. We can, uh, we can rip it. Does Sam have a, well, no. All right. We can hit the study. Into the article. <laughs> Yo, Sam. By the way, I'm I'm sorry I couldn't get the competition going, dude. I I, I tried as as Lindley and Brady can probably attest. Um, just got shot down from our CEO, just too too limited of bandwidth. But uh, definitely definitely still think it was a really good idea. And I don't know if it'll come up come come together in the future. But yeah, just just want to admit to that on the podcast, dude. <laughs> yeah, just tell everyone. So this uh, is a study out of Cleveland, uh, Ohio, the Cleveland Clinic. They look, it's called the Machine Learning Outperforms Regression Analysis to Predict Next Season Major League Baseball Player Injuries. It's an epidemiology uh, and validation of a lot of player years from performance and injury profile trends uh, from 2000 to 2017. So basically they got a bunch of publicly available data from um, fan graphs, from baseball reference and from baseball savant, and then also injury data from the professional baseball transactions archive. Yeah. And then they use logistical regression uh, to use performance metrics and uh, health measurements uh, from the from the health database, the professional baseball transactions archive database that they they included, to predict the next season's it, it, whether or not they would have an injury and where the injury would be, um, and 
the so there was basically like six outcomes i think i believe it was they were trying to predict um where is it trying to predict a future knee injury a future back injury a future hand injury future foot um or ankle injury shoulder injury or elbow injury um and by the way by the way getting ahead of it a little bit because this is a question i had after looking through it um I, it was it was hard for me to tell. It doesn't seem they didn't have knee injury, back injury, and hand injury, and, or all the six splits as variables going in. They just had injury, right? Just had one variable rather than split out by a body part. Um, I think I think it was split up by by body part because these are these are the uh, descriptive measures from the database they got. They have this many knee injuries, back injuries, hand injuries. Um, and I think that was that was input to the models, if I'm if I'm not okay. mistaken. But okay. um I also so basically if a player had more than one season of data with like in the in the data sets they pulled, then they would be included in the analysis. And there was um I don't know, they they looked at in position players they had over 9,000 player years. So basically they had uh, 1,900 unique players with uh, with about five years of data for each one mm-hmm. on average uh, from 2000 to 2017. Um, and basically with all of the, there's a list, I don't have the, the list with me, but there's a bunch of pitch FX data, uh, on-field performance data and, and statistics um, for position players and pitchers. And I think earlier I, I mentioned that there might be a little bit of like, n- like not enough context from the, the people running these, these analyses or something, because there were some like pitching metrics that were included in the hitting analysis and um, vice versa as well. But basically, so they have a bunch of different types of machine learning models. I think there was five of them. Wait, 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 wait. hold on this page real quick. I was trying to read this. Um, two, two, two for each of each clinical. Oh, okay, okay. So the reason I was I was asking about the injury thing because on the feature impact, it just seemed like it lumped injury as one, uh, one variable. And here I was looking, one of the seven for each clinical outcome. So it sounds like they built six. No, for each clinical. Yeah, it sounds like they built like six different models. For, for each of the so, so there's a there's, no there's there's six six uh models different type of machine learning algorithms so there's yeah, but it, says, it says for each clinical outcome it says for each clinical outcome though doesn't that yeah. imply that for each of the each possible injury each possible injury has its own like six sets of mo- or six separate models yeah so there's so seven clinical outcomes because there's uh okay. all of the specific injuries and then and then the next season just general injury um and six okay. different model type model types and then they did it uh like for position players and and pitchers separately so okay. I think there's a total of eighty four it came out to like eighty four models or whatever so they tested logistical regression which like caravan you're probably gonna have to talk to me about that because I actually don't they don't go into uh, like super in depth about how they uh, did that, but then they do a random forest, uh, K nearest neighbors, naive buys, bays, uh, <laughs> XG boost, and a top three ensemble. Which the top three ensemble is just a 
uh, like compiles the top three performing mm-hmm. machine learning algorithms and then compares their performance um, as, as measured by their ability to predict um, injury and whether the player would have an injury next year and where the injury would be if so. Um, and there's a, there's some specifics about how they trained it. They like did, I think, I think they did 10 different training sets where they left 10% of the data set for, um, testing. And then they did that for all 10, like the whole data set basically. So they repeated that 10 times. So they tested on, or they trained and they tested on the, the entire, the entire data set. Mm. I don't know if that's, uh, that's kind of above my pay grade. Um, and then the results. So for the position players, the injuries, uh, were the, or the models predicted the injuries best, uh, or better than, than pitchers. Sorry. And the, the highest performing ones were, uh, the random force and the XG boost, uh, individually, but then the top three ensemble, uh, outperformed all of the individual models and also logistical regression or logistic regression for position players. And then uh, for pitchers, it was it was similar. The the top three ensemble was the highest performing one, and then random forest and XG boost were the highest uh, machine learning models. But in both cases, the logistic regression was very very close, uh, closely performing to um, the the best machine learning models, and also wasn't far off from the from the top three uh, ensemble, which was something that was really interesting. Interesting to me. And then on specific injury sites, um, the, the performance was, was much lower or, or not much lower, I guess, but, uh, significantly lower, uh, like statistically. And, and basically their, their discussion was that it, it, they, with some mild confidence, they're able to predict injury, um, like binary in a, in, in a binary fashion, but they weren't, they weren't very confident in the injury site, uh, performance. Did they go into um, any kind of? Did they talk about any naive model just modeled off prior entry? Because that, I mean, I, I mean, obviously this would do a, quite a bit better when they feed like eighty different variables in there. But I was kind of curious because um, a lot of times for for machine learning models or or just you know, I mean, any type of model, machine learning is kind of a broad term, but essentially can be kind of synonymous with predictive modeling in this case. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm always curious how it compares to just the easy naive model where it just pl- plots on the especially when it's like a variable like this that has like so much more relevant feature importance than every other uh, thing in there uh, like like how to compare it with just using injury. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Be- oh, it, and that's similar to what you were saying about um, like mass with our like velo predicting models, right? Like, yeah. like body weight. Like yeah. if th- these features or these like features or, or uh, predictors aren't that important if they can't, that can't outperform like body yeah. mass or whatever. But there's some weird things like in the position player data, one of the mo- most important measures was weighted cutter runs per a hundred pitches, which like, I assume that's just not, not like correct. Cause they're position players, right? That That's a pitching measure. That's for that's for position players. Yeah, this is for position players. Yeah. So the the top three. So like injury. Do you mean, do you mean how they performed against cutters? Maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe when they got that's brought really, into pitch. 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is just saying that like bringing a position player into pitch is a uh, recipe. He's, for he's, he's fucked up, dude. He's injured as hell. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so between both models, there was previous injury, age, and then um, wins above replacement as well as the the weighted cutter runs, which is weird uh, that that's important in both uh, position players and uh, pitchers. But it's like, I think in summary, this isn't super useful, uh, obviously, because like the the best predictors were mm-hmm. performance, which were like, like wins above replacement. So better players are more likely... I assume they, they don't go into the direction or I w- didn't see the direction, whether it was more war or less war that was uh, that like went into predicting future injury. But I assume it's more, which makes sense because like higher performing people are going to be playing more. There's higher like risk for injury if you're, if you're playing more, I'd assume. And that previous yeah. injury obviously uh, seems pretty straightforward as well. And then age, age was a, was another big one. So like, these results weren't super profound and I don't think that they would be um, like really change any practitioners like uh, decision-making or whatever, but it, it's, it's a really interesting approach to um, this problem. And I think with potential additions to, to the, to the training data set, whether it's, they included some pitch of X data, but there, there are things like, like stack has stuff like release point, um, I, I don't know extension or or whatever. Just they included just a lot of stuff, dude. They included. I was looking at the processing GitHub link you you dropped. I mean, yeah. that's one of my main things. It, it's like they just threw everything in a blender, and and it's gonna even if you, however much you like optimize the like how however much you hold out its test set or cross validation test set or whatever, it, the model's still gonna have like some usually some sort of like overfit. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you throw so many variables in, it's gonna be. I mean. You know, I mean, what I'm assuming happened is just like a few people. Uh, I mean, I mean, maybe not. Maybe there's something to be said for the way to cut a run. I, I don't know, but like that'd be if if there is something you said, that'd be the most valuable takeaway from this, right? Because because yeah. prior injury, predicting future injury is, I think, something that most people are aware of and know. Um, so if if this model brings any value, it would be, I assume, in the fact that weighted cutter runs per 100 pitches is actually a good indicator of, of, uh, you know, in- injury, which I'd, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to look at, like just seeing, just seeing like that in and of itself, seeing how that does and, and seeing what kind of outliers, uh, carry that. I would say really quickly. Um, well, a actually I'm, I'm going to be doing something kind of similar. Finally, like a larger big data, uh, prediction I'm stop sharing on, Anthony. All right. a, a larger big data prediction thing on, on Terry's green elbow designations. Cause in gym, I think we've talked about it. But we have, uh, low elbow on low shoulder on low other on and then like shut down for each of those three so so i think our our data set uh could be just as rich and and, and probably and much more standardized because rather than we have like you know every team doctor every kind of manager decides this guy's going on a dl this guy's going 10 day dl this guy's doing this we have just terry it's just terry applying the same criteria to, to all those metrics so i'm optimistic that we have a even cleaner data set in a lot of regards to, to run that in gym. Yeah. That's another thing, another like limitation, I think to this, to this study that they, I don't think they did uh, justice in, in discussing in the paper is that like the data set. Yeah. It's publicly available 
injury data that is paired with whatever performance. <laughs> but uh, th there is severe limitations with those self-reported measures or the team reported measures, you know, like there are other motivations for people and, and or for the data that gets reported uh, in those things, I think. So that, that should probably be considered. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I like this approach. So I feel like this, I don't know. I, it with like, just you throwing a blender. Yeah. Just yeah. see what it spits out. <laughs> I like, yeah, for sure. I, li I like the approach too. It, it still hasn't changed my uh, level of skepticism for uh, injury prediction, especially in pitching, mm. but um, yeah, I, I, as I said, this, Green Elbows Part Two, baby. As I said this morning, <laughs> though, when you dropped the article, I hadn't even like considered uh, like injury prediction stuff for position players, and I feel like that would just be a lot, a lot easier. Um, or I, I'll say I would be less skeptical on injury prediction with position players, just because of like playing time, regularity, more like workload data that you could collect um just thinking about stuff like uh i mean because because they already do that like in other sports um with like hockey and basketball where they like move across a field or like a court or a rink right tracking you know how many steps or distance traveled and that being like a super strong indicator of like workload and injury prediction like leading them to fatigue and injury so that that seems like way more plausible for injury prediction, just measuring stuff like that, like heart rate and distance traveled um, for like a position player compared to, you know, looking at 100 pitches every five days or whatever it is, you know, for a pitcher. Like that doesn't seem yeah. like nearly enough to know what's going on, but uh, I'd be I'd be more confident in that. So that, that was pretty cool to see. Yeah. One, one, one thing that I think uh, we're going to do better on when we work on this as well is – Okay, never mind. I was looking at the I was looking at the GitHub code again to see what they brought in. They did bring in velocities on. Uh, actually, no, I don't know if they brought in velocities. I think uh, I was looking for velocity in the list. I couldn't find it. Uh, if you look at the GitHub code between lines like five thirty six and five fifty eight, it, it's weird because that's just like Fangraphs notation. So I'm not totally sure if that's V for velocity or V for value. But it makes me think that it's V for velocity because. I think the W under it is like weighted, weighted values. Hmm. Um, but but you like that's the thing. Like here's here's a quick theory. I mean, it might just be the velocity on a cutter just falls mm -hmm. when you're injured because you're trying to throw basically not a full intent fastball and you just can't you just can't yank it. And then if you, if your velocity on a cutter falls, that's just like probably a bad pitch and it just gets creamed, right? And what? then and then the model, but since you you brought in weighted runs. Per, per cutter, maybe the model just in, like you know identifies that as the variable that's causing it. When in reality, it might just be like uh, the cutter velocity dropping. Wait, is is that is that only a pitcher value, or is that also a uh, batter value? I, I, for some reason, I thought like no, that. I, I don't think. I, I think we're not sure. I think we're not sure. For yeah, some I reason, I thought like weighted that that like cutter weighted thing is like it can be a batter value as well. Like to an attempt to quantify like their performance normalized off of cutters or something like how well they do with yeah I, 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 I think i think it's what it is but it seems weird that's so high up for um yeah oh nice oh sharp posted a hitting sprint structure revamp yeah. um but uh he must have been listening to podcasts who didn't hurt us drop the word of revamp yeah but so basically um, if no, you I, I, I think if I think you do that, well against cutters you're gonna get if you hit cutters well you're gonna get hurt <laughs> 
is what this is saying. I, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. I think when we when we work on this in gym, and I'm hoping that we do it this month. To be honest, I'm gonna bring it up in uh, our sprint meeting in like about an hour. But I mean, I'll tell you right now what my predictions are. I think, I think velo dropping on on fastballs is gonna be a huge indicator, and I think this is like pretty, um, you know, a pretty non-controversial claim. And I think on on the batting side, not everyone has like bat speed value since it's not like in publicly available data, but we do because we use like bat sensors. Right. I mean, I I, I bet I bet bat speed's gonna be. A, like a pretty good giveaway if someone's yeah. hurt. Yep. Yeah. No, that uh, that makes sense. I'd be I'd be interested to see. I guess most of the most of the like injury prediction or or injury correlations with biomechanics data have been like kind of related to performance. So things that are related to better better fastballs. Well, how or, many how many hickeys do you have on your neck, dude? What? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> That's what, that's what Jack on the Rocks does. Oh, Did you no. him again, dude? Or yeah. Three that's fucking actually, Higgies on your neck, dog. That's actually the highest predictor uh, for, for injury right there. Yeah. yeah. There's so many, yeah. so many missing variables from this. I'm telling you, the easiest one, they should have just put, so like, many. is driveline athlete or not? And then yeah, you know, weighted yeah. balls or no? <laughs> they need to they needed to pull publicly available data for like have they come to driveline? That's the real the real you know uh, predictors they need in there. That's right. Really, really quick though, Karen. What do you think the logistic? Can you describe the logistic regression they probably did? They just didn't go into the description at all. Yeah, I'll give you a really quick logistic regression breakdown because I know what you mean. It is kind of confusing for for people initially. Um, essentially. Logistic regression just predicts if a, a variable is like one or zero. Um, is usually used for binary uh, variables, and you, you know you know how linear regression looks when it's just like slope uh, or or intercept plus you know b one times x one plus b two times x two dot 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 right. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, except it's modeled as a, a logit function, which means uh, on the numerator it's like e, like the mathematic number e, like two point two whatever. Uh, e to the power of that equation over one plus e to the power of that equation. And that's the probability. Like that'll spit out 0.63. And since it's got to be zero or one, since 0.63 is going to get pushed to one. Okay. So that's just like finding a bunch of coefficients and then putting it into a static, uh, like, it's like yeah, model exactly. Just think of it as a multilinear regression, except the multi, the, the actual multilinear uh, equation is is e to the power, power of that the multilinear regression and it's e to the power of that over one plus e to the power of that and that probability just gets shifted to one or zero. Gotcha. Are you surprised that 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 performed pretty like closely to the the better machine learning algorithms? Uh, I mean, I mean, dude, I I don't know. I feel like this when you have like. It's like 600 variables and you're using all of them. I just feel like it's got to overfill like a motherfucker. And, and I think like in, in, in variables and like there's like different types of machine learning algorithms, uh, like very broadly, there's like neural nets, there's tree based algorithms. Um, there, there's a couple other categories, but like, I, I think for those, I think when you use like tree based, uh, specifically tree based, you can kind of tell right away, you can get a better idea for relative importance. But and this is this is me kind of saying this from my own not super precise uh, like statement of this, you know. But but I always kind of get a feel like when you do if you do a huge multivariate linear regression 
or logistic regression. I, I just feel it's, it's really easy to overfit because you're just like baking everything in, and it's yeah. it's impossible. It, like if you ever look at a huge multilinear regression and look at the R squared, uh, R squared will always stay the same or go up as you add in other variables. That's why a lot of people use like this thing called adjusted R squared that like normalizes for the number of variable used. Because if you just keep feeding it more data, it's just gonna fit closer and closer. And uh, again, this is like a, a statement that I don't know if this is like co commonly accepted or not, but I, I get the feeling that logistic regression sometimes plays the same way. It, it seems like it's more prone to overfitting versus like some neural net or, or tree-based like gradient boosted algorithm. Yeah, because yeah, standard practice is that you like, you test the model and then the lower, the, like the less important variables you just toss until you get like, like some amount of importance for, for each of the variables included. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you want to avoid, you want to avoid like, uh, yeah, like one variable basically explaining the other or like, you know, including variables that aren't actually like predictive, but in that case, it, all it does is like overfit, right? Like it, it, it's predictive only in that case, but in a validation set it isn't. And obviously I'm sure they did some cross validation and stuff, but um, yeah, I, I guess, I guess like variable inclusion, I, I was trying to look through it, but it really seemed like variable inclusion um, was kind of either not well explained or not really a thing. Cause I, cause I, I think I dropped that comment to you before, before the podcast too. I, I didn't see much on that. Yeah. Yeah. And then also just generally Nikolai brought this up on, on Twitter, uh, like projecting or predicting recovery time, um, versus just like a binary, like injured yeah. or no, um, yeah. is like a, a big limitation as, or not, I guess not a limitation, but that would be like a, a future um, like use use of this if if we yeah. got to a point where we could predict that would be sweet different different applications for sure yeah yeah oh yeah we got a uh, Bodhi Bodhi on next week I, I mean so. yeah I mean if he can if he can nail down the the bank sponsorship is that the deal listen Bodhi all I need you is to get me some. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually it's actually pretty clutch because uh i mean so technically next episode will be the episode that we take over uh the primary podcast of driveline baseball there were only oh, really? there were only 41 episodes oh, of the wow. driveline baseball podcast this so next episode oh, will shit. be next episode will be 42 so we can just like we can, we can kind of rose Bodie on that from the start, you know, like, eh, well, you know, this is uncharted territory for you. Episode 42. <laughs> You've never been here with the, with the drive on baseball <laughs> podcast. This is, this is new territory. So dude, I'm down to make a, make like a tweet thread, like top five moments in the first 42 episodes or yeah. something. I, I know I talked to you guys about this yeah. and, uh, and you know what my first one is going to be. Stop, dude. All right. Are we gonna, okay. We, we should make sure. on my, uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, let's go back to screen share. Okay, uh, let's go. Uh, yeah, uh, Bodie, Bodie next week then. Hell yeah. Good to wrap. And, and David Howell after maybe. And Tiger's going to be in there too. I promise you. Dang, I'll, we got I'll a keep lot. name dropping him though. Oh, we got a fire list coming up. Got a lot. All right. Peace out, everyone. Peace. Peace.